This is Her Self-Expression with Beverly Price, a podcast dedicated to women who seek self-empowerment. Like many women, Beverly suffered with low self-esteem, and now she is on the other side and is ready to share her knowledge with you. In this podcast, we interview inspirational women every week who share action-oriented tips to boost self-image and self-confidence. If you'd like to move from self-loathing to self-love, as Beverly did, stay tuned for today's episode that is sure to help you take on the world. And now, here's Beverly. Enjoy the show. Hi, beautiful. I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm Beverly Price, Life Transition Coach and the host of the Her Self-Expression Podcast. Most women struggle with their self-image and self-confidence. Her self-expression provides knowledge, support, and insight to help women on their journey to self-empowerment on the inside and out so they can take on the world. Today, I have these questions for you to ponder. Have you ever dealt with someone who told you what you think happened didn't? Deal with anyone who made you feel crazy? Dealt with someone that everything was about them? Well, my guest today is my friend Heather Kent. Heather is going to help us today about a serious subject that many women deal with, narcissism. Heather is a registered psychotherapist and certified teacher with a background in trauma assessment and treatment. She has also been on my podcast twice before. So if you want to listen to prior topics she covered, please listen to those episodes. She's the best-selling author of the books Heal from Your Narcissistic Ex and I Left My Toxic Relationship. Now what? She completed her Master of Counseling Psychology degree at the University of Calgary and went on to complete various trauma therapy training programs and certifications. She holds a Bachelor of Education degree from Queen's University and was a practicing grade school and post-secondary educator for over a decade. As a trauma-informed mental health consultant, Heather combines her experience from her previous teaching career, her personal experience, with her integrative therapeutic approach to counseling. Much of her practice is focused on helping clients through the process of recovering from trauma and PTSD, of abusive relationship, and supporting organizations in creating trauma-informed workspaces. Having survived her own personal experience of trauma and PTSD, Heather soon came to realize that many other people find themselves in the same situation, which leaves them feeling broken, ashamed, and paralyzed by fear. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It's so good to have you back. I am thrilled and so excited to be back. And it's always so lovely to see you, Beverly. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your journey, and your dealings with narcissism personally? Absolutely. So thank you so much for that introduction as well. You covered kind of all the 
all the the bits. But yeah, I did have my own personal experience through narcissism and narcissistic abuse, both in an intimate relationship context and in a professional context. And so, and unfortunately, professional context more than once. So I, I am no stranger to what it is and what it looks like and how it feels when you're in a relationship mm-hmm. with one who uh, displays these personality traits. And so my first encounter was at a very young age when I was actually 19 in my first year at Queen as a freshman. I became involved with someone from my hometown who I had known to not be a great guy in terms of relationships, but who had shown me these very softer, wonderful, beautiful sort of traits that I didn't really Mm -hmm. see previously. And so it became very easy for me to become drawn in and and become more kind of enamored with his enigmatic personality. And he was extremely fun to be around. He was highly social, very charismatic, you know, athletic, really involved in lots of activities. And most importantly, when he was pursuing me, because I was like, no, I had rejected his, you know, requests a few times. He was relentless in that. And, and then when I finally kind of gave in and said, sure, okay, let's see what happens. You know, it was fantastic. And he was so wonderful. And I felt like I was the only person on the planet. <laughs> yeah. You know, I got very drawn in and he was very um, like attentive and he seemed very caring and wanting to know more about me and, you know, my experience, et cetera. And so it became very easy to fall in love with him. He made it very easy. However, that beautiful, amazing stage didn't last very long. And there were red flags that kind of came up very quickly. Wow. So (laughs) what were some of the characteristics of narcissism? Yeah. So there's lots of different sort of red flags. And so how they presented themselves to me was in a variety of situations. So for example, in my case, he would tell me that he would call at a certain time. You know, this is, you know, I'm dating myself here before right. the t- cell phones, right? So <laughs> so he would tell me that he would call at a certain time and not follow through. And so I would, of course, be sitting beside the phone waiting. Right. He would keep in close contact with previous relationships or previous flings that he had had. And he actually even cheated on me with a few of and. I even caught him physically in the act of doing it. And he tried to deny it and say that I was seeing things. I was crazy. Yeah. He would ask me to do things with him, you know, in an intimate setting that these other people used to do with him made me feel like I was never good enough, you know, sexually, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. He would get angry when I asked him when I, you know, something innocuous, like, what do you want for supper tonight? Right. I would bring him home something that I saw that I made me think of him in the day, like his favorite baked goods from a bakery. And he would toss them aside and like not acknowledge or thank me or anything like that. And then the ultimate kind of beginning of the end that made me start to wake up was that when I got abandoned in a snowstorm downtown alone with no coat, no oh, means wow. home. And, and it was a 40 minute drive home. So these are the types of things that I experienced when I was in that sort of intimate relationship context. Now, in a professional context, it can look a little bit different. There can be kind of ridiculous demands put on a person. There can be over-the-top sort of praise of a specific employee and sort of favoritism and nepotism that you witness. You can become kind of the scapegoat, you know, 
problem member of the team and they can become very suspicious of you, very jealous of you, wanting to compete with you. Yeah, making sure micromanaging you. These are the types of behaviors that you might see from a narcissistic personality at work, yeah. especially someone who's like in a managerial role or someone who is overseeing what you do. And so, yeah, there's there's lots of different sort of <laughs> contexts in which these behaviors can show themselves. And then, you know, in medical settings, for example, you might have medical professionals, specifically specialists, who will dismiss you as a patient, not yes. listen to your concerns, tell you that you're wrong or that your symptoms are not real, basically implying that they know better. They are, you know, kind of playing God in that in that medical context. And so those are kinds of samples of of behaviors you might see. Yeah, I saw quite a bit from what she said about the medical side mm -hmm. for my mother when she was an elderly woman. Mm -hmm. And a lot of elderly women are dismissed and yes. they're just makeup illnesses and things like that. So I saw that as well. Hadn't thought about that being narcissism. So um, narcissistic personalities are attracted to certain positions, like mm -hmm. professors. And so you'll see it a lot in medicine. You'll see it a lot in the legal field as well. Wow. And you may also see it in like policing as well. So these are positions that are usually positions of authority, positions that are well-respected, that receive kind of, you know, oh, he's a lawyer. Oh, she's a doctor or a specialist. Oh, you know, so you see these personalities drawn to those positions of prestige and power. Yeah, I saw that in CEOs as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. More often in politics lately, too. So is there a type of woman that that a narcissistic person is attracted to or goes after? That is such a good question. So yes and no. So they don't have like a specific, you know, type necessarily in terms of how they look mm -hmm. however they certainly do have a sort of personality checklist shall we say of what they of what they would ideally kind of look for so they target people you know myself included on some of these things they look for people who are overly empathetic so people who are excellent at you know putting themselves in someone else's shoes and really feeling what their experience might be. They look for people who are people pleasers or rescuers, you know, people, oh, okay. people who want to help or fix, right? right. Um, they look for people who are very positive and very optimistic. Um, so maybe these people would be a bit more naive, you know, not having experienced this type of thing before. They look for people who are excellent at forgiveness so uber forgivers okay. they look for adult children of narcissistic parents okay they because again those relationships are normal to them right because they've grown up right. in that situation conversely they also look for adult children in my case from very happy families so again in my situation it was like this naivety i had no concept of this when i was right when i got kind of swept up into it. They also look for people who are going through difficult times in their lives or transition and people who have a trauma history or have gone through significant loss. Wow. So, I mean, being empathetic, wanting to help people, being positive and being great at forgiveness, these are all wonderful qualities. Right. right? 
These are not negative things. However, these qualities also make us more susceptible to being manipulated by these people. And they are excellent manipulators. Excellent. They are master manipulators. Absolutely. Wow. So how, how does narcissism affect the person on the receiving end? Great question. <laughs> so the majority of the work that I do with women who are survivors of these relationships, whether they be parental relationships or intimate relationships or, you know, professional, it is highly damaging. I would argue that narcissistic abuse is the most damaging kind of severe form of psychological abuse that exists, okay. really. Because their whole purpose is to maintain power and control over you or the situation by causing you to question your sense of reality. Mm-hmm. So it is literally crazy making. And so it causes you, the, the, the victim, to like really wonder whether what you're experiencing is real because they will gaslight you to the end of the earth. And so when you're constantly being told that what you remembered isn't accurate or that that never happened or they never said that or you're overreacting, you're too sensitive, or if you're a woman, my favorite, you're PMSing. Oh, Um, gosh. I was just kidding. You can't take a joke or just flat, blatantly denying that something you remember happening happened. Or they may even say that you did something that never happened. Right. That you don't remember and they will convince you that you did do it and that you must have a memory problem problem, or that you must have blacked out and that you should see a therapist about that. So they really go to town on getting you to question your perception and your sense of a reality. And it makes you think that you're crazy. Also, we have something happening called cognitive dissonance. And so cognitive dissonance happens when you've got these two very opposing things going on and you can't reconcile it in your brain. And so your brain needs a break from it. So you've got this person who has drawn you in in some way and who you thought was great and you want to make it better and they're behaving in these terrible awful ways and you know belittling you and berating you and you know discarding you and casting you aside and you know picking you apart but but how could that be happening when this person was supposed to care for you you know, right. because they told you that they did. And so there was this, this real, you know, opposing kind of forces happening. And so that creates confusion with cognitive dissonance. And so what we do to get rid of the dissonance is that we rationalize and try and create situations and contexts and excuses for how, how, how they behave being okay. So, well, they only do that when they're really stressed or he only said that because he was really tired. And so we, we, we rationalize the, the behavior into being acceptable so that it's not, it doesn't feel so confusing. And I would think, too, it has the possibility of causing the receiver to have low self-esteem, low confidence yep. in those kinds of things. Absolutely. So, I mean, for myself personally and with every woman ever and men too who I have worked with the the end result of it is complete erosion of self-esteem and self-worth and you know no confidence whatsoever in the belief that you are enough in any form right 
whatever that may be. Yeah. And so it is extremely damaging to someone's sense of self. When you mentioned parental narcissism, Mm -hmm. it seems to me that that could be even more damaging because it would last for such a longer period of time. How does that manifest itself and what's the impact? So, yeah, that's a really interesting question. It's a bit more complex because we're talking about like this whole family system. And so within the family system, if you have a parent who's a narcissist, the children, depending on how many there are, will will be given or sort of taken or assigned these different types of roles. And so one of the children typically becomes the golden child. This, This is the child that's touchable, who is amazing, who, you know, gets told that, the sun shines out their ass and that they can do no wrong and that they deserve nothing but the best. And so they basically become groomed to be narcissists themselves because of this inflated, you know, gun, right? And so the other children, though, are there's only one golden child. There can only ever be one. Okay. And so the other children fall into these other categories and it may kind of oscillate or, or switch back and forth depending on, you know, the perceived flights of the narcissistic parent. So you've got the scapegoat child who often is also the truth teller. So the child who will call out the behavior or say like, that's okay. Like you can't say or do that. Why are you causing problems? You have to be so argumentative and disagreeable. Like what is your issue? Like nobody else causes problems. It's just you, that kind of thing. And so you become scapegoated as, as the black sheep or the problem. In the family, you know, the, the reason why there's conflict and, and you know, and then you have like the handmaid who is just like doing whatever they can to just fly under the radar and like keep peace. And yeah, so you've, you've got, you know, these sort of different roles of what's happening. And de- again, depending on the narcissist perception of what's happened, those roles can move around. Typically, the golden child is pretty stable. However, I have also seen situations where the golden child has done something or woken up and finally, you know, you know, again, insulted the narcissist in some way. And so that person then becomes the the write off, the scapegoat. And then the other child, they they then move to another child to put the, you know, the, the golden light onto. Right. Yeah. So that will happen, too. Yeah. You know, I thought I've been in relationships where I've thought I was crazy because of what someone was doing and talking to me. And I'm just learning now about narcissism. And your discussion is very enlightening. I wish I'd known that back then what was me going too. <laughs> what to do with it. And like now, now I can see it and I see it professionally i see it in intimate relationships and i see it parentally as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is narcissism frequently passed down in the generations is that what keeps it alive so i mean there's no guarantee that if your parents are narcissists you're going to become one of course many of those children who were mistreated become the opposite right they they live their lives wondering what's wrong with them why they can't be accepted why their parents don't love them etc right right? there's all of those issues that come up as in adulthood and so we have like insecure attachment styles anxious attachment that kind of thing but yeah no certainly there is a genetic component and there is a you know if you have a 
narcissist parent and you are the golden child, chances are that that's how you're going to turn out. But there's other factors too that would kind of allow someone to develop narcissism on their own. Can a narcissist change? And I guess that's the first question. Can a narcissist change? And maybe what type of things do they need to do to change? Do they see the desire to change? Do they see themselves? Self-awareness and self-reflection are non-existent with a narcissistic personality. So the the two kind of hallmark traits of a narcissist versus other personality disorders, and we're really in narcissistic personality disorder as like a diagnosis is really like the gateway into this socio like the psychopathic sociopathic disorders okay Um, and so there is a lack of empathy like the inability to think about how the people feel and then the kind of malicious pursuit of their goals and the, right. the ends always justify the means kind of thing. And so, sorry, the, the first part of the question was, can they change and are they aware? Yeah. So the other big thing that they have is this lack of self-awareness. And so they are incapable of doing reflective work because that is the thing that they are most trying to escape. Because underneath all of the facade is a deeply insecure extremely unhealthy person who was filled with self-loathing wow and that that part of themselves is something that they cannot face because it there there's this incredible amount of shame that exists there and so they do everything they can desperately to similar to you know the words of oz behind the curtain right like don't look behind the curtain everything right and that's really what narcissists do they create this this image and this, you know, facade of who they are and what they do to hide the reality of their own insecurities. And so being self-reflective would then require them to acknowledge and look at themselves and the things that they don't like about themselves, which causes their whole ego to crumble. Wow. Yeah. So can a narcissist change? Yes. However, there's a, a you know a couple of caveats. Number one, we need to look at what is the likelihood that a person. Okay, so some people might not agree with me here, but I'm just going to use a an example of Donald Trump. Okay, so I think we all can agree, whether we like him or not, that he thinks he's amazing, mm-hmm. right? And so what is the likelihood that a Donald Trump, for example, or Putin, we could use Putin as an example in Russia, what are the, what's the likelihood that someone like that is going to A, decide that maybe they have a problem, okay. that all of the conflict around them isn't everyone else, that maybe they have something to do with it. So there's accountability there, right? And that reflective ability. What are the odds? What's the likelihood that someone is going to, of that caliber, is going to admit that that's the case? Okay. Make an appointment to go see a specialist to get a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Accept that other professional's diagnosis. And then commit to doing the years 
And I do mean years of therapy work that is required. Wow. Doing therapy with a narcissist literally is like a 12. It's not an AA 12 step kind of program, but it, it, it's like 12 phases of, of, of work. And you don't even address empathy for others until phase 10. Wow. It's amazing. And the work is very slow because you, you're constantly battling that ego. Mm-hmm. So you can have a great breakthrough and like you have this moment and they see it and they can, you know, hold it and they can, you know, step, step away from the shame because they go spiraling into, into self-loathing and shame. Like, when, you know, whenever they can admit that they've done something wrong, it's shame. Bye. Like, no, like, what can we do differently next time is the focus, right? And so you can have this breakthrough with them. But then the next week you see them, it's as though that conversation never happened. So it's very, very slow work. One step forward, two steps back. Yeah. And like you said, how likely is it Uh that someone with no ability to see themselves would even recognize it in the first place? Exactly. So it is extremely rare. Not to say it doesn't happen because it does, but it's extremely rare. Well, for those people close to a narcissist, whether they're in the intimate relationship, the workplace, family, what's involved on the receiving end for recovery? So as a survivor of this type of abuse, I mean, the ultimate goal is always to remove yourself from this person completely, if it's possible. Mm-hmm. So we, we would call this no contact. So if it is possible to shut down all communications, block them from being able to reach out to you via social media or email or phone or whatever it is, smoke signals, what, just removing them from the ability to be able to contact you. Because when you're not exposed to the abuse on a regular basis, that is when you are able to heal, right? Yeah. We become re-traumatized every time we have an encounter with these people. And so it's very difficult to do the healing work when we're still actively engaged. In right. I can see now, for, you know, people who are in co-parenting situations, for example, if you have children with someone, obviously you can't go no contact. However, you can set up extremely strict boundaries. And so it really is the other thing that gets, gets eroded as a survivor is your ability to have healthy boundary because narcissists hate boundaries and they will pick away at yours until you mm-hmm. like give in and you, know, you don't have any anymore. And so right. we reestablish those boundaries and be firm in those boundaries and like you know, a zero tolerance policy with those boundaries when you have to stay in contact with someone is super important. And you minimize the contact to one form of communication only, whether that be text or email. I would never recommend the phone ever because they can say things that are not documented. Right. And so there are even apps, like again, for these co-parenting situations that are really excellent because they are legally admissible in court and they are specific for co-parenting. So an example. An example of being our family wizard. It's great because there is a texting there and you can do children's finances and schedule. Like everything having to do with the children can be housed in this one app, including parental communication. And And what's the name of that again? Called Our Family Wizard. And sometimes sometimes it gets court mandated in high conflict scenarios that this is the only method of communication. 
between the parent and narcissists hate it because because they are not in control right and it actually has a barometer and kind of tells you like oh that seems like a bit of a hostile message are you sure you want to accept that and so they really hate it because they are monitored right Mm -hmm. and it's legally admissible so controlling how they contact you is really important and limiting their contact and then when you do have to communicate with them we do something called gray rock which means be as boring as a gray rock okay so you only focus on bland you know basic responses if you have to deal with you know a bill or a you know investment that you share or a child or whatever you keep it logistics focused only right so pickups drop-offs you know materials required who's going to get what you know when are people going to go on vacation with the children etc you only engage and respond to logistics everything else you filter out and ignore so you keep it business only no emotion and we never ever ever justify argue defend or explain ourselves ever because that, that just makes it spin out that just fuels the fire yeah okay. wow that's amazing well this is a great time to take a quick break everyone please stay tuned we'll be back in a moment when heather will share her three actionable tips to help in this life with a narcissist we'll be right back Hi, beautiful. Beverly Price here. If you want personalized guidance on your journey to confidence and empowerment from someone who's been there and don't want to go it alone, then my signature coaching may be just right for you. With a confidential approach and one-on-one personal support that has helped hundreds of women, we'll work together to move you forward. Whether you are looking to deal with a major life change or an overall life overhaul, schedule a free discovery call with me today at HerSelfExpression.com to learn more and say yes to the ride of your lifetime. Now let's get back to the show. And we're back. Heather, what three actionable steps would you give to the women in our audience about narcissism? So first, I think it's important to do a little bit of an assessment. Mm-hmm. Am I in a situation where I am in, in a, some kind of relationship with a narcissist? And so you can, you can ask yourself, you know, a series of questions. Does this person have an inflated sense of self? Do they look for excessive admiration? Do they lack the ability to empathize with others and how they feel? Do they expect sort of the rules not to apply to them? Right. And do they think that they should be determined to be exceptional and amazing and, you know, are only worthy of socializing with other equally exceptionally and amazing people? Okay. And so you just kind of ask yourself these questions, you know, are they overly focused on the, their image, you know? having a great car, having a great house, having a great office, like is the prestige important, you know, and do they actually care or, or do they take interest in other people and what they're doing and what's going on for them? You know, and so the answers to those questions, if you've got some answers sort of consistently 
to some of those questions, then it's pretty obvious that, yeah, you're dealing with someone who has at least has these tendencies, if not the full-blown personality. And so once we've kind of established that, so that'd be the first action step. Okay. Do an assessment. Can I look at this person objectively and say, okay, what, what, what do I see here? And then based on that information, okay, what am I going to do next? So certainly as a, as a person who is reeling and in the middle of it, it, you're in a fog, literally, and it's very hard to see what's happening. And so I would definitely recommend starting to go to counseling, talking to a therapist, but someone who specializes in this type of personality disorder, reconnecting with and spending time with people outside of this person, because often they will do what they can to alienate you and isolate you. And so it feels very lonely and it feels like you have no one to talk to. And so I would definitely encourage reaching out to who used to be your support system friends, family members, et cetera, getting involved in some kind of physical activity that helps to restore you. So yoga is a wonderful example of doing some kind of physical exercise, engaging in journaling. Journaling is actually extremely helpful because you can, not only are you, you know, processing your experience, but you're also documenting what happened on a specific day so that when they come back and say to you, I never said that, that never happened. You can then go back and you can see that it did happen. And so it helps you with that cognitive dissonance. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it helps you to, to make sense of, you know, that reality questioning that we end up doing. So journaling is an excellent strategy that I would highly recommend doing immediately because then you can go back and kind of reassure yourself that, no, you're not crazy. Yes, that did happen. Right. And that can also be helpful if it ever came to like a, a court situation, et cetera. Right. Okay. How do you think taking these steps impacts a woman's journey to self-empowerment? It's, it's a life or death difference, honestly. In my own experience, you know, I came out of that situation, a broken, hollow shell of who I used to be. I had absolutely no confidence in myself. I had very low self-worth. I never believed that I was worthy of love of any kind. I thought that I was a terrible person, that I was to blame for, you know, everybody's misfortune. Even if it had nothing to do with me, I somehow was responsible. And, you know, I was trained to believe that. And so I came out, you know, in this, this very broken kind of space and doing these things, engaging in counseling, with a therapist, reading, you know, self-help books, listening to podcasts and YouTube, infor- informational YouTube videos on this topic, helping you to like knowledge is power. And so if you can inform yourself and you can see what's happening and you can be like, oh my gosh, that's my experience. Oh my gosh, that happened to me. Oh my gosh, that's how I feel. You know, they said that to me too. You know, then you can start to make sense. Okay, this is not okay. This is not normal. This is not healthy. And then being able to acknowledge that and see it helps us to then take the next step to do the healing work, which definitely requires a mental health professional. And you want to be careful with who you choose because often mental health professionals don't see this personality disorder clearly and they don't have experience with it. And so sometimes a therapist can unknowingly further invalidate you. So it's really important to research who you speak to because you want to make sure that they understand 
they're you know well versed in this field. I definitely would not recommend any kind of couples counseling with a narcissist because that's something that they might try and do because their goal is to get the, the therapist on their side. Right. And to shame you to the therapist, which I experienced. So you definitely don't want to engage in that again, because the couples therapist may not be able to see what's really happening. Sometimes they can and they'll call it out and other times they can't. And then the victim feels even further invalidated. Right. And so and unsupported. So getting a good therapist who is sort of specialized in this work is really important and I would say necessary for healing because you are dealing with what most people don't realize is that we, we develop symptoms of PTSD mm-hmm. and so we need professional support to work through that. Okay. Wow. And that is what brings us to empowerment, right? And so it really is this journey. It's why I love this work so much is because it really is a journey from pain to empowerment and, you know, self-actualization and taking back yourself and, you know, reestablishing your voice, rediscovering who you are. Because you were a victim of narcissism yourself, did that lead you to want to do this work? Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of came to it organically because these people just kept showing up in my office. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, advertising that this is something that I um, specialize in particularly in the beginning, but it was shocking to me to see how many women we're just showing up in these situations, in these relationships. And so it became apparent like, oh, okay, so if this is happening to this many people just in this little part of the world, you know, this right town, this must be a much bigger issue than I ever imagined or ever realized. And so that's what prompted me to write the books because they are free resources that people can have. Again, like I, I would really love to have something like that exactly. when I would in it. And so it kind of organically grew into this sort of specialized part of the work that I do. And, and I certainly am very passionate about it. Absolutely. Well, I think you have just excelled at sharing that message today. I have one question that I like to ask all my guests, and that is, what does self-expression mean to you, Heather? So talking about empowerment, self-expression for me is the freedom and this really is the key word for me is the freedom to be able to express your personality in whatever format you feel is appropriate it can be people's thoughts people's feelings people's artistic desires or artistic talents that's the word i was looking for it can be expressing themselves through, you know, speaking or writing or painting or dancing or anything at all in terms of how they go through their day. But self-expression for me is the freedom to share and show your personality without fear. Beautiful. How can our listeners find you? So they can find me very easily, actually, through my website. There are links to all of my social media platforms there. And so it's just my name. So it's heatherjkent.com. So H-E-A-T-H-E-R-J-K-E-N-T.com. And if you head there, you can link up to me on social media. You can download both of my books for free. You can have a look at a few other interviews I've done and articles that I've um, 
you know, written on and you can book a consultation with me if you'd like to speak with me personally. There's a link to my calendar and you are welcome to book a free consultation with me as well. That's beautiful. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with the audience today? For all survivors and people who are still in it, who are listening, my most important takeaway for you is that you are not alone and help is available Uh, and you deserve better. Yes, you deserve better. (laughs) Heather, thank you so much for being my guest today. And all of Heather's information will be available in our show notes. Please connect with her to learn more. To get to where Heather describes, we need strength, we need willingness, and we need the desire to have a better life. I believe that we need both outside and inside strengths to come together to make our empowerment journey complete. Thank you for being with Heather and me on this episode of Her Self-Expression. I hope that you can see the direct connection between owning your own story, relieving yourself of the burden of narcissism and empowerment. I love connecting you with incredible women that can provide you with actionable steps for you to take on your journey. You can find our podcast through links at Apple, Spotify, Podopolo, and more. So please download the episode and share it with your friends. The more people we can have listening, the more interesting topics and impactful guests we can bring your way. And remember, the more you express yourself, the better you'll feel. Self-expression doesn't have to be a mystery. It's your key to navigating life's changes and self-empowerment both on the inside and out. But most importantly, remember that you don't have to go it alone. No matter where you are in your journey, I'm here to help. Thank you and take care. Thank you for listening to the Her Self-Expression podcast today. To listen to past episodes, visit www.herselfexpression.com. Once there, you're going to want to take our quiz to see where you stand right now on your journey to self-expression. If you have any questions or would like to share your thoughts with Beverly and other like-minded women, join our Facebook group, the Her Self-Expression Sisterhood. Invite your friends too. When you download and subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast services, be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends to download it too so we can continue to help others. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And remember, self-expression doesn't have to be a mystery. It's your key to confidence and self-empowerment both inside and out. But most importantly, remember that you don't have to do it alone. Visit www.herselfexpression.com and join us today.